Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. like to talk tonight about uh, or share a particular teaching from uh, from Buddha Dharma uh, that to me explains the process that we're going through there are many lists if you're not familiar with this body of teachings lots of lists if you're a this kind of person, you've come to the right place. Um, but this particular list, I think, really beautifully uh, describes the unfolding of practice. And uh, that is the list uh, that's known as the five spiritual faculties. <clears throat> the five, just so you don't stay in suspense, uh, I'll give them, uh, I'll name them and uh, describe two different ways that uh, this list can be seen. The five are faith, effort or energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. One way that you can uh, think of this list is uh, it's a list that describes balancing different qualities. Two qualities um, on the outside, faith and wisdom, uh, need to be in balance. If there's too much faith but not enough wisdom, then um, we have blind faith. If there's too much wisdom in the sense of a, uh, a mental investigation, exploration, without enough faith or heart element, it becomes uh, very cerebral and um, is missing its juice and its heart connection. Then the uh, Two other balancing factors are energy and concentration. If there's too much energy and not enough concentration, we become restless. If there's too much concentration in the sense of a stilling of the mind and not enough energy, we go into sleepiness and dullness. And the mindfulness factor, the middle factor, is the balancing factor. It is the one that brings those other two pairs into balance. Mindfulness itself develops faith and develops wisdom. Mindfulness, as we develop it, and perhaps you're seeing and will see, develops both some stilling concentration and some energy. Although the first day or two, it takes, uh, it takes some faith to, to get a sense that energy actually does develop. Um, but the more that uh, the mind is not distracted and processing lots of, um, of content in the mind, uh, it frees up actually you get in touch with a, a resource of energy um, that is not normally available. And so it's quite common if you have a, if you're able to do a longer period of practice that the energy uh, picks up and you need even less sleep than you normally do. Um, so the mindfulness is the one that brings both of those into, into balance and also develops them Uh, all four of them as well. So that's one way of of looking at this list. Uh, 
the other way, which is what I'll focus on tonight, <clears throat> is more of a, a linear progression, although it's not as neat as you develop one and then you're ready for the next and then that leads to the next and it, it's a kind of hologram but very definitely um, there is a, an onward leading development of one um, cultivating the next and the next and the next. So I'd like to share this list uh, in that form and explain how what we're doing um, cultivates them in, in that way. <clears throat> so the first of these, water. the first of these is faith. Um, the word in Pali is sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A. And it is, um, literally the translation is to put one's heart upon. So it is a heartfulness that um, brings us to practice. Sometimes the word faith trips people up. It reminds them of either going to Sunday school and wish they were glad they're not there anymore or wish they hadn't gone through that or... Uh, some whatever our spiritual upbringing, did I have enough faith, or uh, if I did have enough faith, everything would be fine. <clears throat> um, so there are some alternative definitions, just in case that's, uh, that's your situation. Other synonyms for faith, trust, which is a really beautiful word to somehow trust in the Dharma or in the unfolding. <clears throat> Confidence, where you have that and you can feel the, the, the constellation of those words. Confidence, not so much that I can do it or that uh, I'm so great, but that there is this capacity inside that can meet the moment. Conviction is another definition of sadha. All uh, beautiful words. <clears throat> and it takes some kind of um, heartfelt connection to uh, get you to do this in the first place. Some trust Maybe you uh, read a book that inspired you. Uh, as I said, I think I said it last night, uh, when I read Be Here Now, changed my life. Just all of a sudden somebody was speaking to me and I thought, oh, I'm not alone. Amazing. He's saying it just how it feels inside. And then some quite a bit of wisdom more that opened me up. But perhaps you've read something or you've heard a talk or you've heard uh, your friend share something that, that kind of got you very curious. I said, wow, I wonder if there's something there for me. I want to check it out. And so we start off with something that gets us here. Um, something often inspiring. Maybe you saw the Dalai Lama or, or a, a, a video of him and just felt there's something there. <clears throat> and that initial kind of um, curiosity can lead to a great inspiration, what is sometimes called bright faith, where you get that feeling, wow, this is for me. This really speaks to me. Something that I, I didn't know was possible before. Maybe it's possible for me. Besides reading, for me, uh, reading Be Here Now, and I, I said, I think this, I said this uh, last night, 
when I first heard Joseph Goldstein talk. I, I went out to, I forget if I mentioned it here, I went out in 1974, there was a, um, this spiritual summer camp called Naropa, Naropa Institute, which is now a college, Naropa University. And Ramdas was going to be there, uh, and I've been carrying around Be Here Now Like a Bible for about three years. <clears throat> and I was going to go out and, and meet him finally. And I asked him about meditation, because I had been doing uh, transcendental meditation, mantra meditation, and other things. Uh, <clears throat> and he said, go check this guy Goldstein out. He's pretty good. And I went to uh, that first class, and um, the first, f first 10 minutes that I was in that class, he didn't quite fit my image of what a great spiritual teacher was like. He wasn't more than a couple of years older than I was. <clears throat> he sounded like he was from New York like I was. He sounded like he was from Brooklyn. I was from <laughs> Queens. And he didn't have a kind of regal flowing grace. He was just kind of a regular guy. And I spent about 10 minutes judging that package and saying, so this is, this is that great meditation teacher I'm supposed to see. <clears throat> and after about 10 minutes, I just started listening to his words and hearing they were coming from a place that somehow um, spoke to me and touched me. And it was clear he wasn't so different than I was, but he knew something that I wanted to know because he was just comfortable in his own skin. He was just right there and having a presence that um, I only uh, wished I could have. And as I said yesterday, he was saying it's possible to not be run by your neurotic mind. And there was a, an excitement in that very first class that I thought, wow, maybe this is this is it. More than just carrying around a book, he's saying it's possible to practice. And I remember the, that feeling coming out of that class, kind of remembering it right now, just thinking, oh my goodness, I think this is it. And I'm going for it. <clears throat> that was really bright faith. In fact, that first, that first summer, I thought Joseph could walk on, on, on air, you know, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And it was the Dharma that, that touched me, but uh, it was very powerful. Maybe you remember, maybe as I'm, I'm saying this, just take a moment to remember what first touched you. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a book, maybe it was uh, some experience that you had. Just remember what it was that made you contemplate, perhaps there's something here. Do you remember? Actually, I'm curious, just a few comments here. Very briefly, yeah. Uh, when, whenever, yeah. Be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> Jesus said that, didn't he? Yeah, it was a good one. And your yoga teacher came right at, came right out of out of the teacher's mouth and got you. Beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? I do remember there were two books when I was traveling around Asia when I was really young. One was Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. Ah, Siddhartha. Especially that go to the river and listen to the river. Listen to the river. I love that. And the other one was Chongi Which one? Myth of Freedom? Cutting Through? Yeah, Shambhala. Sacred warrior, yeah, yeah. So, whether how many was it a book that got to you? 
great. How about um, a, a friend? How about an inspiring teacher or figure? Yeah. We all have our story, so I'm just, I shared mine for all of us to just remember your story. And when that turns, opens your heart, there's something quite extraordinary and alive about it. Another inspiration for me when I first then got into the practice, a very simple um, and powerful line from the Buddha saying, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible. And this is why I teach. Very simple. If it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. And that guy seemed to know what he was talking about. I figured, okay, he says it's possible. I'm going to do it to the best I can. Faith or trust uh, is the antidote to the uh, hindrance of doubt. We haven't spoken here yet of, of the five hindrances that are common to all minds as they do this practice. And one of the five is doubt. I can't do this. Um, I don't know about these teachings or I don't know about this teacher. And doubt really incapacitates us. Everybody has doubt. The Buddha had doubt before he was enlightened, the last thing that Mara, the embodiment of confusion, um, threw at him was, what makes you think you have the right to become enlightened? Even after attacking or trying to seduce with lovely images, doubt is the final one. And the Buddha reaches down, as you probably have seen in Buddha statues, and touches the earth and says, as the earth is my witness for all the work that I've done over lifetimes, I have a right to be here. So there it is. All the way, just short of Buddhahood, there was doubt in the mind. Jesus, another example, there he is on the cross saying, God, why hast thou forsaken me? Before he completely surrenders. So if you have some doubt, um, cut yourself a little slack. <laughs> you have a lot of company. It's so natural. And yet having some kind of faith is, um, is the thing that sees us through. There is bright faith, that kind of inspiration. But it doesn't last for, it's not a sustainable kind of a faith. It's kind of a a quick flame and you're on fire for a while. But then as you practice and you see for yourself, you then have what's called verified faith, where it's not something that you read in a book, but you know for yourself to be true. And sometimes the understandings and that conviction uh, come from behind the back door, you might not even realize what you're learning until after, but you're planting very powerful seeds of understanding here. I'll share with you uh, my, f my first experience where I, I saw a truth about practice that I didn't realize I had. It was on my, very, on my second retreat, and I was... I had been in love with, with the Dharma, but practicing was a different story. And uh, that second retreat, the first three days, lots of body dukkha and lots of mental dukkha. And I had this tremendous wave of doubt, like, what am I doing here? And then I thought, I looked around and I, I saw, I thought to myself, I was a phony. Everybody around was a phony. We were all kind of colluding together and looking like we were spiritual. Right? The teachers, I didn't know what they were, if they really knew what was going on. Tr 
tremendous doubt. And I tried to sit. I couldn't sit. I tried to walk. I couldn't walk. Finally, I just needed to chill out. And I went to this cubicle in this meditation center in Washington State where I was sitting. And on my dresser was a, a picture of um, the guru from uh, Be Here and Now, Neem Karoli Baba, who is a very important, uh, uh, inspiring figure for me. And there he was smiling at me with a little twinkle in his eye out of the picture saying, hmm, having a hard time, aren't we? <laughs> and as soon as I saw him kind of smile at me, the whole heaviness of doubt broke and just, I realized, oh, I'm just going through a bout of doubt. I had heard that hindrance talk before. It was just this prison I was making in my mind. And I got really excited and really exhilarated. And I was clear that I had conquered doubt. <laughs> I couldn't wait to tell my teacher. Unfortunately, the interview wasn't until the next day. And between the time that I had conquered doubt and the interview came, I went through every mind state you could imagine, from exhilaration and pride to a crash to confusion to sleepiness to uh, up and down, I was on a real roller coaster. Right? Finally, I get into the interview, and uh, Joseph looks at me and says, So, how's it going? And I said, In complete innocence and exasperation, I sighed and said, It's always changing. <laughs> and he said, That's it. <laughs> You got it. I said, oh, yeah, you keep on saying that, don't you? It was amazing. Oh, that was what an embodied understanding of Anicca was. It is always changing. I see it for myself. Think, how many different mind states have you had today? A few? How many, how many different thoughts have you had today? How many different sensations have you tracked today? It's always changing. But it's one thing to read about it in, a, in an essay or in a book, and it's another to see for yourself. Yeah, it really is always changing. That is what's called verified faith. And as you deepen and deepen and see it for yourself, it's not anything that can be taken away from you once you see for yourself. If the Buddha came in himself and said, you know that mindfulness stuff, I was just kidding, it wouldn't matter. I know that mindfulness works. That kind of faith, that verified faith, leads to what's called unwavering or unshakable faith. Because as you deepen your practice, um, even though there are waves of doubt, uh, even years into practice, there's something underneath it all that gets developed that says, this too shall pass, and there is a capacity to, to hold it and be with this. Faith is not the idea that everything is going to work out. Sometimes we have that notion, oh yes, just faith, trust, it's all going to work out just the way I want. No, that's not often the way life works. It's not that everything works out the way you want. That's not what the essence of trust is or faith. It's more that the way I see it, as you deepen that quality, you can trust that the awareness will meet the moment, whatever arises. So you have trust or confidence in the capacity to respond wisely and skillfully to the moment. 
sometimes we can confuse uh, faith with hope. I hope it'll work out. And faith is very different from, or this kind of trust is very different from hope. There's a beautiful uh, line by Seneca, the Roman uh, Stoic philosopher, who said, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope, because hope is accompanied by fear. You cease to be afraid when you cease to hope, because hope is accompanied by fear. That's a kind of hope that's, that's got your, you know, chewing your fingernails, saying, I hope this is going to turn out okay. There's a fear there. But if you just show up and do your part and allow life to support in whatever way it can, chances are you'll be able to respond in a wise way that allows for the optimal unfolding. So this is the, the first kind of a, um, this first spiritual faculty, a heart quality of trust. Trust or surrender. And in that trust, in that faith in the practice, that leads to the second. If you have enough trust in the process or faith in the process, you put in the effort to do the practice. Because this does take effort. Have you seen? <laughs> it takes effort to be here. We're so caught up in past, future, or fantasy that it takes some real training to learn to be here in the present moment. One, one teacher, um, Trungpa Rinpoche, again, I, I think I quoted him last night with that timidity quote. He said, sometimes practice um, feels like manual labor, just kind of bringing yourself back. Okay, it's wandered again. Come on. It's a little bit different than training the puppy dog, I grant you, but okay. It takes effort. Um, mm. He also, I just think of another quote he said uh, once, uh, practice is uh, like having a love-hate relationship with your cushion. Mm. One insult after another, as he, he'd said. You know, it's humbling. And it takes some effort to be willing to be here in the present moment. It's not the effort to have a wonderful, blissful meditation. Don't go for that. It's just the effort to be here, and when you see you've gone, to bring yourself back. A balanced kind of effort. That's all you need to do, as you've heard me, heard me say. Every time you see you've gone, to come back with a loving, kind, consistent intention to be here once again. Just in that bringing our attention back, our kind awareness back. Once we're here, once we're actually here and we land, the paradox is that effort can get in the way, our over-efforting, or if we're here, okay, I'm here now, how do I stay here? How do I keep it, my attention here? You've just contracted the mind and you're doing too much. Because once you're finally here in the present moment, and maybe you've had a taste of it, even in these couple of days, sometimes you don't need to do anything. Just relax and enjoy the show. Maybe even a taste of that if you've gotten. Because when you're here, if you're fully here, any efforting is extra. Any efforting is taking you out of the moment. That's where the secret, kind of like riding a bicycle, you know, you've got it, takes a while to practice and get your balance. But once you're riding 
Are you trying hard to stay balanced? If you think too much of it, you're going to fall over. But if you just enjoy the ride, you know how to balance. There's something in you that knows. And in the same way, as you get the knack of just relaxing, it's so beautiful. The effort is a non-effort. And so the kind of effort that's, that's talked about is a balanced effort. Not too tight, not too loose. You know, the Goldilocks space. Just enough, a balanced kind of effort. And you can hear lots of different messages from different teachers. I was with one Burmese master, very, uh, a very powerful and brilliant teacher. His style was heroic effort. Turn up the jets at all cost. If your leg is falling off, just note it. Falling, <laughs> falling, falling. You know. Uh, and that has its, has its mm, uh, positive sides if you can remember to keep it light. And they don't always tell you that. You know. Heroic effort. And then on the other hand, there's, you get a message of simple and easy. One of my teachers and Joseph's teacher, Manindraji, used to say, Simple and easy, simple and easy, empty phenomena rolling on. Uh, wait, actually, I, I can pull up a beautiful quote. I didn't forgive my technology here. Um, from a Tibetan teaching, Gendon Rinpoche, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. Sounds pretty good, huh? That's the teaching that you get after you um, do your preliminary practices in Tibetan, which include 100,000 prostrations, 100,000 mantra recitations, and visualizations. You've got to work very hard, and then they say, just relax. <laughs> mm. no, you can hear that earlier on, but it's a balance. Sometimes you hear the message, yes, and it does take effort to be here, but then you have to know how to make it a balanced effort so it's not straining and, and, and trying too hard. Sometimes the problem comes when we equate effort by what is happening in our practice. And we might see, oh, uh, I've got so much emotion now, I must not be doing it right. Or, oh, I have so little feeling or emotion now, I must not be doing it right. I remember going on one retreat, it was an early retreat, and everybody around me, the, the, the boxes of tissues were, were just getting used up right and left, and I was just feeling my breath without a whole lot of emotion. Right? And I went to my teacher saying, um, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Uh, uh, and even more, I don't know if I'm getting my money's worth, really. You know, everybody's having these catharses, and I'm just watching my breath, you know. And he wisely said, don't go looking for trouble. It'll find you soon enough. <laughs> so there's no one way that it's supposed to look. If you think, oh, because this is happening, it means my practice isn't, isn't going well, or... Oh, I got really clear, far out, 
Check it out. I think I'm doing it. You are taking ownership of this selfless process. And so rather than judging your effort by how it looks on the outside, here's the guideline I'd suggest. It all comes down to your sincerity. The sincerity that you can bring to the moment. Is there a willingness to show up? And if you, um, if you've gone off or gotten lost, is there a willingness to come back? And sometimes effort can look in different ways. It can sometimes, uh, it's a balance. So we need to see what's needed to bring ourselves into balance. If you try too hard, you get tight. In fact, there's a, yeah, there's a, a story of the Buddha and, and one, uh, one monastic who was trying really hard and he was getting really wound up. And, uh, and the Buddha saw he was having a hard time. And, and he, was, he was asked by this man, well, what should I do? And then the Buddha remembered, he said, weren't you a musician before you took the robes? And uh, the man said, yes, uh, I, I played the lute. And then the Buddha said, well, what happens, what happened when you um, turn the, the string too tight. He said, oh, didn't get the right note, too high. What happened when the string was too loose? Didn't get the right note, too low. And he said, just so with this practice, it needs just the right amount of energy, but not too much, not too little, and that's how the practice keeps on unfolding. So that means for ourselves, since everything is changing, our energy is changing, we need to really monitor what we need in the moment to show up. If we're wound up and too tight, we might need to just chill out and relax and go for a, just a very gentle walk or maybe even uh, have a cuppa. We don't say that in the States, but I've been learning it here. You know, just <laughs> have a cuppa. Uh, and just, not that you're cheating, not that you're kind of throwing in the towel, but it can be wisdom that says, I just need to, uh, to chill out a little bit with some hot tea. Uh, but if you are on the other end of things, and uh, that's particularly for the high achievers um, among us, you know, just cool out. If you are on the other end of things, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> um, it's okay. It's not going to happen. No. You really need to renew your commitment and see, yes. I really want to make the most of this time. Not by a tight effort, but just that willingness to show up. And you're the one that knows inside that has to really be honest with yourself. So, balanced kind of an effort. Both are needed. A kind of full-heartedness and an ease and spaciousness. Faith that gives us the uh, confidence or the um, curiosity to put in the effort leads to mindfulness because the effort is the effort to be mindful. That's what the effort is. Not to make anything particular happen, just to develop mindfulness. Mindfulness is an extraordinary quality and discovery of the Buddhas. He didn't discover awareness, but he realized and discovered that through cultivating 
a mindful attention, we can come all the way to the highest happiness and full liberation. The, the Satipatthana Sutta, I said this the other night in Melbourne, in the, the, the discourse that this meditation is based on, he starts out by saying, there is most, one most direct way, or one most wonderful way, to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, and pain and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness. That is the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty good, isn't it? What an amazing discovery that one quality of mind, when cultivated skillfully, can end all pain and anxiety, mental anguish, and lead us to the highest happiness. Mindfulness. So what is mindfulness? I spoke about it the first night. Just to a little review and expansion. Mindfulness is knowing what's happening in the moment in with a non-judging attitude. That is seeing what's here without wanting it to be different, either wanting more or wanting things to change, but simply seeing things as they are. That is, not grasping at the pleasant, not pushing away the unpleasant, and not getting um, confused uh, by the neutral or spaced out. Mindfulness is this balancing factor, and one, one uh, amazing property that it has is of all the different mental factors of mind, and there are 52 mental factors in Buddhist psychology, it's kind of the deck that you're, that you're dealt with. Sometimes they think not everybody, has, not everybody has a full deck, but we all do have a full deck. We all have all of those capacities. Of all the 52 mental factors, there are some wholesome factors and some unwholesome factors and some neither wholesome nor unwholesome. Mindfulness is the one factor that weakens all the unwholesome factors like greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear, and etc., etc., and strengthens all the wholesome factors. Extraordinary, like love, compassion, wisdom, etc. There are many ways to be mindful. You can be mindful of the breath, that's what we started out with. You can be mindful of sensations in the body, you know, as Jill was leading today, sensations and sounds. You can be mindful of the thought process itself. You can be mindful of emotions. You can be mindful while walking or standing or running or swimming or whatever activity you're involved in. You can be mindful um, of the flavor of experience. Oh, this is pleasant. This is unpleasant. This is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So many different ways to be mindful. And any moment of mindfulness is just as good as any other moment of mindfulness. This is something important to understand. It came up in one of the groups. Well, I'm I'm noticing a sound, but I'm not with the breath. Knowing that you're hearing is just as uh, liberating a moment as knowing that you're breathing. Here's one way that mindfulness works. I, I don't think we did this here, or, or in Melbourne, uh, for that matter. Uh, put your arm out in front of you. Okay, I didn't do this here, did I? No. So. Now just um, move your hand slowly back and forth. And as you're doing it, close your eyes. And put all attention on feeling the movement. Right now, is there any worry? 
any fear, any regret. Keep feeling the movement. Any yesterday or tomorrow, just feel the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, it wasn't like the sky opened up and you got the big E, zap. Uh, But it is a mini enlightenment because in that moment, the mind is completely connected to what's here now, not lost in its stories, not lost in past or future, and there's a balance of mind. While you were doing that, did you say, oh, what could make this a better hand movement? No. You didn't need to add anything onto it. Oh, what do I need to take it away to take away to make it a better moment? It just was the way it was. That's fine. And that balance of mind is both freeing and it creates the conditions for a much more profound opening as well. That balance can be applied to the breath, to a sound, to a sensation, pleasant or unpleasant. That's the interesting thing. We usually think, oh, it's got to be pleasant to warrant my attention. But like we said yesterday, people go to melodramas or horror shows and for entertainment. You can be present for anything with that curiosity and interest, even for difficult emotions, which we'll get to tomorrow. Oh, here's sadness, here's fear, here's loneliness, here's joy, here's love. And there's an awareness that sees without being touched by it. So it doesn't matter what you're paying attention to. Also, mindfulness has different lenses, talked about this in one of the groups, different apertures. Sometimes, or maybe it was in a Q&A, sometimes you might be noticing just precisely, say, as the air comes in your nose and you're feeling your hair follicles sway in the breeze. You know, ooh, look at that, you know. And sometimes you might notice more globally, oh, I don't have any idea what's happening. Ah, confusion. That's what's going on. And in that moment, that's my, that my label of last resort, confusion. I just wrap the whole thing up into one big package and say, ah, confused Buddha. That's what's here. Or confusion. Because in that moment, you're clear. You might be clearly confused, but you're clear about it. So it can look very big, it can look very panoramic, a whole um, constellation of feelings, or it can be very precise. Mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening and not getting lost in our ideas about what should be happening, seeing things as they are. One thing, and I'll, oh, I'll, um, let's see, did I have it here? Uh, that I wanted to impress upon you just to uh, drive the point home. The secret teaching I gave you this, this afternoon, do you remember it? What was it? Don't figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. This was a, uh, uh, this was from somebody on her first retreat many years ago. She was just really spinning her wheels around and around and having a pretty hard time trying to figure everything out. Why am I feeling this way? Why did this happen to me? And I, she kept on hearing, you don't have to figure it out. And finally, at the end of the retreat, she wrote me this note, which I have kept. <clears throat> I have the, actually... I have the original note in her handwriting, but this is it typed out. The one thing that is indelibly in my brain is finally getting, you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. 
Just today, when I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words came into my mind. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. You don't have to figure it out. All you need to do is be here for the unfolding. It all reveals itself in its own time. So, faith leading to the effort, the effort to be mindful, leading to the development of mindfulness, which goes to the fourth of these qualities, and that is concentration. <clears throat> it is possible to develop concentration as you're doing this practice. And in fact, it's one of the things that a retreat is structured to support you in with minimal, minimal stimulation, all the support that invites you to keep cultivating moments of mindfulness because the way my uh, concentration works, there's, there's a couple of different ways to get concentrated. One is focusing just on one object and if you spent a whole week or a few weeks just focusing on the breath or one particular um, aspect of experience or doing loving-kindness over and over. It's possible to, for the mind to become laser-like and lead to um, very powerful states of concentration and absorption even. But you don't need to have that in order to get the real fruits of practice. The other kind of concentration which we are developing here is the concentration that comes from stringing moments of mindfulness together. One moment of mindfulness followed by another, followed by another, and another. Maybe at the beginning you're, you feel lucky if you have a few moments of mindfulness in a sitting. You know, maybe when you first got here, oh, wow, maybe three breaths I was there for. Maybe now it's up to five or six. You can't make it happen, but what you can do is every time you see you've gone, come back, and that's how it happens. And after a while, those moments of, of, of mindfulness start to build a momentum to the point where it's kind of like cranking up the engine. You know, you're going and then suddenly it kicks in and you might have this experience where you sit and it doesn't matter if the bell doesn't ring. Oh, wow. It's just here. It's just clear. It's calm. It's not even that big a deal, but it is a big deal because when you experience it, it's like, Oh, this is kind of nice. This is, you know, why be any place else? And it can lead to more and more of those moments of concentration, of mindfulness, because then you start to fall in love with the present moment. You start to fall in love with stillness. Not necessarily that it's only still. Or you start to fall in love with being here for your life. And then you don't have to be cajoled. It's like, oh, I just want to be here in the present. That's a big shift because you have some verified faith for yourself. Here are some pointers in developing concentration. Because it is supported by certain attitudes. 
the key to concentration is continuity. One moment after another, after another. It doesn't matter what you're doing, as long as, as best you can, you can be mindful in each part of the process. So, when the bell rings, instead of thinking, oh, gotta go do my walking meditation, and missing out on everything in between, standing up and going, putting on your shoes meditation is just as important as going for the walking meditation. Or brushing your teeth. When brushing your teeth becomes as sacred an act as sitting here in the hall and feeling your breath. This is really good practice. Because every moment counts. And so continuity is the key. Not that you're tight, but just that you're, it's like learning to ride that bicycle. And after a while, it builds on itself, and you want to be here. The image that's sometimes used, you might find helpful, is putting a, um, a tea kettle on, on the stove. If you put it on, if you keep on taking it off every 30 seconds, it's not going to boil. But if you put it on the stove, even if the flame is sometimes lower than the highest flame, like that balance of effort, it'll boil after not that long a time. Think of your practice like that. Just continuity is the key. Patience is also really helpful. As it's sometimes said, the spiritual journey requires a cup of wisdom, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. Because if you have patience, Everything else will follow. That is patience, not getting frustrated with how things are going, but just letting yourself show up and letting the process unfold. Resolve to come back when you have been gone. I've said that many, many times. Curiosity, like that sense of wonder that I talked about. Remember the birthday card? Hmm. That is the thing that keeps it from being an effort. Just, oh, let me see now. And um, just getting clear on your intention, remembering your, your intention to be here or what, what inspired you in the first place. All of those are part of developing concentration. And concentration is not a linear thing. It's not like you get more and more and more and more and more. It goes in cycles. There's times when you get, when you're really clear, and then you might find that it, it goes, and then you get clear again, but there's a kind of slope that occurs, and there's an onward leading of the development of concentration. When I sat with that Burmese teacher, you go into the, um, into the interview room every day, and you were supposed to report on your clearest sitting. Right? And out of 24 hours, you, after a while, you have some relatively clear sitting. So I'd go in and I'd report and I'd say, I sat down and this is what happened. And it was pretty clear, but I felt a little guilty or phony, lest he think that it was always like that. So I added on... But it wasn't always like that. A lot of times my mind was all over the place, blah, blah. I did that for a few days, and finally he said, you don't have to add on that extra stuff. You, know, you don't have to tell me you weren't clear. And then I realized, oh, he knew. <laughs> I didn't have to pretend that I was clear all the time because it comes and goes like everything else. So it's not that you're losing it. It's just a, a natural wave and you're going in the direction of greater and greater connection. Okay, so faith leading to effort, leading to mindfulness, leading to a mindful concentration, leading to wisdom. And that's what this is all about. A wisdom that has heart in it, a wisdom that liberates ourselves from confusion.
what is wisdom? Wisdom has a number of different elements to it. One is seeing the truth of things, particularly three qualities of reality. One, everything is changing. Anicca. Two, holding on to changing experience is suffering. As Joseph puts it, holding on to changing experience is like rope burn. Did you have gym where you go up the ropes and where a tug of war? <laughs> if you're holding on too tightly, it hurts. Holding on to changing experience is suffering, dukkha. And third, you are this changing experience. And that you see through this identification with self and you see the selfless nature of this process. There is no one static entity within you to whom life is happening. Life is happening through you. Uh, and here's a, a quick exercise. So let's just, just uh, we're going to go a little bit over. Uh, just try this exercise. Close your eyes. And in, often we think of ourselves as nouns, as somebody, some a person. Instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, try thinking of yourself as a verb. You are a verb that is a field of activity that is continually transforming with thoughts, feelings, sensations, biological systems, all doing their thing all at once. You are a verb. Get a sense of life expressing itself as you. Life isn't happening to you, it's happening through you. You can open your eyes if you'd like. That is the most liberating understanding. Seeing who you are in the bigger picture. It doesn't mean you don't exist. On the one hand, this is James, this is Jill, you're you. And if I pinch me, I feel it and you don't. There's a relative reality, but there is a much bigger reality as well. Where right now, this room, you can think of it as just life is talking to itself through these forms. Right now it's using this voice, but it's just experiencing itself through these various forms. No separation. We all came from that singularity. We all came from the same place and we are connected. And when we see that, it changes things. Doesn't mean that you can't keep on playing the game of being you, but there's another perspective that informs that game. And you see that there's a tremendous freedom that comes from that. Hmm. There's a number of other things, maybe later on in the, the retreat, I'll, I'll talk about other elements of, of wisdom. But just know for, for now that what you're doing here is very, very profound. Even though it seems like a simple exercise of just paying attention 
in this moment. Every single, single moment of mindfulness counts. Every single moment of mindfulness is weakening the forces of suffering, is weakening greed, hatred, and delusion. And every single moment is strengthening the forces of wisdom and clarity. So this is what we're doing in every moment. Our faith or our trust in the process leads us to make the effort to be mindful. Mindful momentum leads to a a concentrated mindfulness. And that concentrated mindfulness allows us to see things that are not normally available to our normal waking consciousness. We see the subtleties of experience. We see that everything is changing, how we hold on and how the causing the cause of suffering that comes the suffering that comes from that and the selfless nature of reality. For me, that is the the um, uh, the ongoing inspiration. Every single moment that I'm mindful counts. I'm freeing the mind and the heart. So, let's just sit for a moment. Let go of the words. <laughs> <laughs>